The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. This morning from the Word of God, I am a JMO is on vacation. He is in Williamsburg, Virginia. Right, that's in Virginia. Uh, I think that's some place where like old people go to. to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see if he listens to this. <laughs> don't, don't don't tell him I said that. We're just gonna see if he listens to the second service. All right, because I didn't say that in the first service. All right, but but in all seriousness, I, I'm I'm very grateful that he he's given me the opportunity to to be able to come and, and teach. Uh, I'm grateful that that y'all have not complained about me enough to where he's allowed to let me come back up here and teach because I, I consider it a great joy and privilege to be able to teach from the, from the Word of God. All right, so so this morning, I, I, w- I was thinking on we're gonna be talking about authority today, and I was thinking about the the authority that coaches have in lives. I, I don't I don't know if there is anyone other than maybe drill instructors that have the same type of authority that coaches have in the lives of their athletes. Where where if a coach tells you to do something, it happens. Just just because the coach said it. Right? I, I did things that I would have never done if my dad had told me to do it, but I did it because coach said to do it. Uh, this, I'm sorry, okay, this is my example of a coach, but I made this, I made this last week, um, and I thought it would be like a really good symbol of coaching, and it would bring joy to the lives, but um, I, we'll, we'll take that down, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I won't mention that, okay, uh, story about myself, okay, uh, this, the, case in point, the authority of coaches, all right. So we, I played baseball, and our baseball coach, we had been unfocused, okay? We had, we had lost some games because of bad innings, because of unfocused. And so what he did, unbeknownst to us, was while we were warming up before practice, he just counted how many times we missed while warming up. Because when you're warming up, and you're throwing it bad, and you're missing, it's only because of a lack of focus, okay? That's, that's all it is. Uh, and, and we as a team uh, missed 20 times. Which, and so uh, he comes to us and he says, okay, uh, go to the foul pole. Y'all missed the ball 20 times during warm-ups, so we're going to run 20 foul poles. Uh, so for those of you that don't know baseball, a foul pole is when you go to the outfield and you run from one side to the other and back. And he says, we have to do, you're going to do that 20 times, uh, which to a baseball player is terrible because we are like the least athletes of all sports, okay? We don't, we don't run, okay? We run 90 feet at a time, and that's, that's about all we do. And so, but you know what we do? He says to do that. We drop our gloves. We go to the foul pole. We don't talk back. We don't say anything. I mean, like, we're very mad and upset about it, but we just do it without saying anything, a coach says you're going to bear crawl 100 yards. You bear crawl 100 yards. The coach says you're going to log roll 50 yards. You log roll 50 yards. The coach says you're going to go to study hall and you're going to study during this time. You go to study hall and you make it look like you're going to study during that time. When coaches say things, some of y'all caught that, it happens. I had in ninth grade, to play on the football team in ninth grade, you had to be at the school at 7 a.m. for before school practice. And I can guarantee you that if my dad had told me to play football, son, you're going to have to go to this practice, you're going to have to go work out at 7 a.m. before school 
not with anybody else, just, just you and yourself. You're going to have to do it because I'm telling you to do it. I would have said, mm, no. Uh, I don't want to play football that bad. It's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. But because coach said to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's, it's interesting if, if you read some of the, the sociological studies that they've done on, on the influence of coaching. Coaches are some of the most influential people in, in, in a young athlete's life. That, that's why you can get a lot of coaches get into trouble, because when you have so much influence with, with a lack of character, it, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. When you have lots of authority with little character, it's a recipe for disaster. But, but coaches aren't the only people that, that have authority, right? It, this, this authority of words, of, of, of saying it, and it happens, right? So you, you've all had bosses, okay? When, when the boss says you do this, it gets done. Parents, when you, when you tell your kids, I need you to go clean your room, it happens. Eventually, all right? Because you spoke it, and, and it happens. Okay, there's, there, there is authority behind words. But then there's also times, okay, when people outstep their authority. Right? So, so if, if, you're, if you were to tell your boss, hey, I want you to do this instead of me, it doesn't work that way. Right? St- kids, students, kids in here, uh, you are not allowed to when your mom says, I need to go clean your room, say, okay, but only if you clean your room too, right? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I could not have turned to my coach and said, all right, you have to run 30 foul poles. It just doesn't work that way. But when, when people outstep their authority, there always is this, this question that we ask them, okay? Which is, who do you think you are? right? Let's, let's say your boss outsteps their authority, and instead of telling you what to do, says, hey, this is what your kid needs to do, and I'm authoritatively saying it. You're gonna, who do you think you are that you have this authority in this part of my life? That's not how this works. Who do you think you are? And so we're going to be staying in the book of Mark this morning, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're not leaving Mark chapter 1. We're actually backing up a little bit in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21. And, and, and this, I believe, is, is the question that as Jesus teaches is going on in the back of the minds of those who are listening to Jesus. Of who does this Jesus think he is? Who does this Jesus think he is? So we're going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, okay? And this is right after Jesus has just called the first disciple. He has called Andrew and Simon and James and John, and he has his first disciples, and they immediately follow him, and then they immediately go into Capernaum. And this is what happens. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. And they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. All right, so this is the first of two mentions of Jesus's authority in this short passage. Okay, the first of two mentions of Jesus's authority in this short little passage. And it says that they are astonished at the teachings of Jesus because he was teaching them with authority, 
and not like the scribes. This is one of those times in the Bible where I wish, I just wish that I could have had the content of what was preached, right? I just, I just wish I could have had the manuscript. I wish I had the podcast. I wish I just had something to where I could hear what Jesus taught that was so astonishing and what this authority was that he taught with. But I, we don't get to see that. Uh, but instead, we see Mark is, is more concerned with, with the power behind Jesus's teaching rather than the content of what he's teaching. But he does give us a little tidbit, which is that he was teaching differently than the scribes. And so when the scribes taught, they actually taught a lot very similar to how I'm teaching the Bible now, to how JMO teaches how when you sit in a Sunday school class or a small group, how the Bible is taught, which is that we're not coming up with new information. We are not coming up with new things, new thoughts, but our, the, the authority of teaching doesn't come from position. It doesn't come from title. The authority of teaching comes from what is being taught. That, that the authority comes from the word of God. That is where the authority rests. And so when the scribes taught, they had an Old Testament passage, right? They didn't have the New Testament. They had an Old Testament passage, and they were teaching, this is what God says. This is what the Bible teaches, right? Very, very similar to what we do here. But then it says Jesus comes along, and he's teaching differently than that, and he's teaching with a a new authority. And we get a little glimpse, I think, of what that looks like in Matthew, okay, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, where we get, we do get a long dose of what Jesus' teaching is, and he uses this phrase often in the Sermon on the Mount, which I think is where we see this is what they mean when he has this different authority, where Jesus says multiple times, you have heard it said this, but I say this, right? You have heard it said in the Bible this, but I say this. One example, it says in the Bible, you are allowed to divorce your wife. But Jesus says, but I say, anyone who divorces their wife except for sexual immorality causes people to commit adultery. That Jesus has the authority to reframe Scripture, to re-speak Scripture. Now, if I, if, you have, if I ever come up here and I say, okay, the Bible says this, but I say this, you should confront me, okay? Matthew 18, all right, come to a brother and say, that's not what you're supposed to do. And then probably go to JMO too and be like, hey, he can't be up here again. And why is he teaching our students, okay? If, if, if that is the words that come from my mouth, the Bible says this, but instead, listen to what I say. We would not put up with that kind of authority because I don't have the authority to do that. And so I, I, I think, I think we, we skip over these, this small moment of what Jesus does because we have the hindsight of, well, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He died on the cross and he was resurrected. We know who Jesus is. So of course he has this authority to speak this way. But think of how monumental this would have been in the moment. 
of Jesus saying, the, in the synagogue, the Bible says this, but I say this. And so, of course, they have this question running through their minds of who does Jesus think he is? Does Jesus really have the authority to speak this way and to teach this way, or is he just talking? Who is this person? Who is this man? And, and the word is they were astonished. And I, I, I think that there would have been two groups of astonishment, okay? There, there would have been who would be positively astonished of who is Jesus? Is, is, he, is he really the one we've been waiting for? Is he really the Messiah? Is this who we've been waiting for? Is he finally here? Then there would have been the other group of astonished of who does Jesus think he is? How dare he come into the synagogue and speak this way? How dare he say that he has this authority? I've been, I've been watching this uh, new show on NBC, okay, called New Amsterdam. Have any of y'all seen a couple of the, there's, there's only been a couple episodes of it, so I haven't completely made up my mind on if it's worth watching or not, okay? But, I, but I've been watching it, and here's the premise of the show, okay? That there is a new chief of medicine who comes into New Amsterdam Hospital in New York City. And I was told after the first service that this is actually based on a true story. I didn't know that. All right, so he comes into New Amsterdam Hospital— and he is immediately changing everything, okay? The first thing he does is he walks in and he fires the whole cardio department uh, because he says that they have put billing over healthcare. And that's not a spoiler alert. That's on all the commercials, okay? So if you just—I didn't spoil anything, okay? But, but he's, he's saying, we're going to cut through the bureaucracy. We're going to cut through the red tape. We are now going to say— Healthcare is more important than the bottom line, and he's changing everything. And he's making all these changes, and you've got two groups of people now in the hospital who are like, who does this guy think he is? You got the people who were just fired, or like, who does this guy think he is? They're all calling their lawyers, right? That you can't fire me. You don't have the authority to do this. Then you've got the other group who love all the changes he's made, but they're thinking, does this guy really have the authority to do this? Like, he has a boss, too. Is he just going to get fired in two weeks for doing this, and everything's going to go back to the same? And I think here in this passage that we have this same thing happening in the minds of those listening to Jesus of, of does Jesus really have this authority? They are astonished at the authority that he has, but is Jesus really able to do this? And before they can get any questions, before anything can be answered, uh, the story continues. Okay, so, so verse 23. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsion, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. And they were all amazed. And so they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. 
So Jesus has this, this confrontation with the unclean spirit where with just the power of his words, he speaks and it is done and he, the unclean spirit must be silent and the unclean spirit must leave and the people are amazed at the authority and the power that Jesus has. But I want us to, to zero in on where their amazement is and where the authority lies in their questioning and in their exclamations. Because at first glance, our our first thought is, is they are amazed at the power that Jesus has over unclean spirits, that his authority to speak and for it to happen, they are amazed at that. And on some level, that is true. But here's, here's what it says. It says that, what is this? A new teaching with authority, that the authority is still being brought back to what Jesus was teaching. And that this power that Jesus is putting on display is to show that he truly has the authority to teach how he is teaching. That the authority he has over unclean spirits is proving the authority that he has in how he teaches. Because Jesus is, is subtly, or maybe not so subtly, saying something about his identity with his authoritative teaching. Because if, let's, let's follow the thought process back, okay? So if Jesus is teaching and saying, I have the authority to reframe, reinterpret, re-say what the Word of God says, then he's saying, I have the same authority as that who wrote the Scripture— that I have the same authority as the God who inspired the scripture. And I have the same authority as God. That if, that if Jesus has the authority to re-speak scripture, to speak on the same level as scripture, then Jesus is saying, I have the same authority as God. And the people are amazed and are astonished, and all they, can ask, all they can think of, is this real? Is, who is this Jesus? And they are amazed at it. Okay, bef- before we go any further, though, I want to have a little aside. Okay, a, a little aside, because this talks about unclean spirits being cast out. And when we talk about spiritual warfare, and we talk about de- the demonic, and Mark uses the phrase unclean spirit, so I'm going to just use unclean spirit, but it captures all of that. We get weirded out by those types of conversations, right? We, 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 we just kind of like, oh, let's just ig- ignore that, okay? And here's, so I don't, this is not the focus, right? The focus of this passage is on Jesus's authority and his identity and, and who he is, uh, there'll be other places in Mark down the road where we get to really zero in on, on the focus being Jesus' power over unclean spirits. But I want to touch on this for a second. All right, C.S. Lewis says that we tend to fall into two different categories when it comes to how we view the spiritual oppression, unclean spirits, the demonic, spiritual warfare. All right, we fall into two categories. Number one, we ignore it. All right, that, and we, we can ignore it in one of two ways. One, one way we ignore it is we say, okay, this was all good during the Bible times, uh, but this is the 21st century. 
where, where we have this idea that, that, okay, they just didn't understand sickness. They just didn't understand how the brain worked. They just didn't understand all of these things. And so they just called it the demonic. But it's not, that's, that's just not a thing anymore. And we, and we deny it and ignore it. Or we can ignore it by saying, sure, it's real and it still happens, but not around here. Not in developed, postmodern, Western culture. That just doesn't happen. Maybe it happens other places, but not here. And we effectively ignore it. There's a lot of arrogance in that statement, okay? But, but that's—we— Half of us maybe fall into that category of ignoring it. And C.S. Lewis says the other, the other group that we fall into is we overemphasize it. That all of a sudden now every single little thing that happens bad is because of demonic, unclean spirits. It's, it's the old southern phrase, right? The devil made me do it. Okay, and, and, and we live our life as if every little, behind every bush, underneath every rock, that there is an unclean spirit that is causing the bad things to happen. And both of these are two extremes that we need to be in the middle of, okay? And I think actually when we go through Mark and we see Mark, uh, he, he shows us how to do that, okay? Because in the book of Mark, Jesus and, the, and Mark differentiates between healings of sickness and exorcisms. That, that, it, that it is not just, oh, that's just how they viewed sickness, okay? But that there are, Jesus is going to heal people of sickness just because they are sick, right? In other places, the disciples say, who sinned? What caused this? And Jesus is like, this just happened. This just happened, and I'm going to show my glory through it, right? So, but there's also unclean spirits where he casts them out, like in this episode here, and we have to realize and have to know and have to understand that this has not ended. That there is nothing in Scripture that says that this is over. But that still today, Jesus still has the authority, Jesus still has the power to speak over unclean spirits that are still active even in 21st century Western culture. All right, aside, aside over, okay? Let's, so back, back to the passage, all right? So the unclean spirit actually gives us a couple of insights into who Jesus is, all right? Which, so, so number one, they, they knows who Jesus is, knows Jesus's identity physically, right? He says, Jesus of Nazareth, and then knows who he is spiritually and ultimately the Holy One of God. I just find it so interesting that they're, that they're dealing with, okay, Jesus has this new authority. Does Jesus really have this authority? Who, who does Jesus think he is? Is, is? is he who he says he is? And right here in the next verse, there's the answer. That, that he answers the question of Jesus is the Holy One of God. But Jesus doesn't care about his testimony. Jesus doesn't want his testimony. He says, be quiet and leave. That Jesus cares more about the person in bondage than he does about the testimony of an unclean spirit. 
Right, so I have, uh, I have a group of guys, high school guys, that come over on Monday nights, and we're actually walking through the book of Mark. Okay? And we just went through Mark chapter 3, and, and one of the guys asked a really good question this past week. And here's, here's what I've learned about students, okay? Is that students ask the questions that everybody else wants to ask, okay? Uh, that they don't feel like they have to know it all, so they're not afraid to ask the questions. And I very much appreciate that, okay? But that, so I think that because this question was asked, I think uh, we, let's, let's, let's all of us address it, okay? Which is, so in Mark 3, there is, there is an unclean spirit that says, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus says, zip it. Get out. And the question asked was, if, if the unclean spirit is speaking the truth, why does Jesus silence it? Why, why doesn't Jesus just say, yeah, that guy's right, and then cast out the unclean spirit? Why does, why does he silence him first? And so here's, 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 here's th- three things that, uh, that we came up with. Uh, number one, what we just said, uh, that Jesus cares more about the person in bondage than he cares about the testimony of an unclean spirit. That Jesus has come to bring freedom. That Jesus has the authority to bring freedom. And that is what he cares way more about. Uh, we, number two, we also uh, said that it wasn't the right timing. That, that Jesus' mission has just started his three years that he knew he needed to have. And, and the unclean spirits are trying to throw off what Jesus has to do. That the, that the timing was not right. And then number three, uh, we said that unclean spirits just aren't the best character witness. Right? That, that, that if you were on trial for murder, you are not going to call the demon to come speak on your behalf. Okay? That, that this actually, if Jesus does not silence him, uh, it would have worked probably against Jesus, right? Because if the demon-possessed man is saying, hey, worship this guy, this guy is the Holy One of God, then if Jesus accepts that testimony, then it's going to raise more questions than it answers. And so, and so Jesus says, silence, get out of him, and on the authority of his words, just his speaking, it happens. So the unclean spirit knows the identity of Jesus, but he also, he also knows what's about to happen, right? His, his question, have you come to destroy us? And the answer to that, in short, is yes. That, that we know when Jesus returns, he's going to make all things right. He's going to make all things new. And all evil will be destroyed. And here he's wondering, is this about to happen now? Is, is this about to Jesus, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus, with just the power of words, with just the authority of his voice, says, be quiet, leave. The only way Jesus has to fight is just through speaking. And so I think all all of this, all of this leads 
to, to us asking this, this exact same question. Okay, of, of who do you think that Jesus is? Who do you think Jesus is? Because if Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, that Jesus is the Word which was active in creation, that in him all things hold together, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was resurrected on the third day, now sits at the right hand of God. If Jesus is who he says he is, then Jesus has all authority. But where we find ourselves is saying, yes, I believe that, but it not lining up with whose authority we live under. That, that we would rather live under the authority of self than we would the authority of Christ. That, that we all have these pockets of our life, these areas of our life where we say, okay, yeah, this is under Jesus' authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when I come to church and when I'm, when I'm doing all this stuff, this is under the authority of Jesus. But I have this part of my life over here, this one little thing, this one little thing, that it's, it's, it's my authority. It's, it's what I want to And I think, and we don't actually ask this, right? But, but when God says, when God says, hey, I don't want you to take this promotion because yeah, you're going to make more money, but it's going to take you away from your family and that's not the design I have for you. We say, God, who do you think you are? Like this, this is what I've been working for. Who do you think you are to tell me not, not to do this? Or, or when, when God says, I want you to, to stay on this team even though you've never played a second. Because I, I have a mission for you there. God, who do you think you are to ask me to do this? This is embarrassing that I never get to play. God, I want you to put 50 more dollars in today. God, who do you think you are? I have a budget. I had to plan all of this. Like, you can't, you can't get in the way of that. Tell, tell me to do it in two months, and I can plan and prepare, and then I, and then I can do it. God, God, who do you think you are? And we would never say that. But in how we live and how our lives go and how we are so much under self, that is what our actions speak. And so here's, here's my challenge for us this morning. For, well, I say us, okay, me, me included. That, that we would be a body, that we would be a people who are fully committed to living under the authority of Christ. That we would say, yes, we know who Jesus is. We believe in who Jesus is. And because of who Jesus is, we know that he is the one who has this authority. And we want to live underneath that. That when Jesus speaks, it happens. That when Jesus says, do this, we do it. Just like we would if coach said, run 20 foul poles. We do it. Because it was spoken, because it was said, and that's the end of it. And that only happens 
when we are place ourselves under the authority of Christ and not under the authority of self. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.